Travis Wheeler. How's it going, Ben? Can you hear me? Man, I can hear you. Awesome. It's all good. Dude, we're doing it. I uh, I came down to the place where I, I record for every every session. I was moving boxes all day, moving them to our new place. Don't move in for a couple weeks, but came down. I was like, man, where's my gray chair? I forgot. I moved it, so I don't have any furniture. I have to sit on the floor and do this one. It's funny you say that because that is actually kind of just my default way to record any podcast because if I get lower to the floor, I'm closer to the carpet, which is going to absorb more of the echo anyway. (laughs) So that's just my go-to. You're going out of acoustic functionality. I'm just, I'm going out of bare necessity, (laughs) no choice right now. That's all good. I got to crack a stout here, man. It's been a long day. So we uh, we just started working together like th- probably, what, three weeks ago, something like that? Yeah, that sounds right. And in that short period of time, I've learned your nickname, Wheels. That's me. I've, I've learned that you're from Grand Rapids, Michigan. We talked a little bit about Steelcase, some of the <laughs> some of the things that go on in, in Grand Rapids. I didn't Rapids. work in Steelcase, but yeah, we did, we did joke about that being like the the – the huge employer of, of the area. Definitely. Oh, exactly. And then, uh, yeah, man, I know that, well, I know you're engaged and I know that you have three podcasts right now and that's kind of all that I know about you. So you got to take me back to day one and reset it and set the table. Who is Travis Wheeler? Okay. Uh, where do you want me to start? Are we starting day one, man? Like, like I know there was like, day zero where you hadn't come into this world and then day one you you flew into this world into bright lights crying your lungs out and uh from there on knows about Travis Wheeler I'm Ben Grenell and this is Character episode 31 six years of Pokemon with Travis Wheeler I grew up in a town called Muskegon, Michigan, which oh. is close to Grand Rapids. Um, I I went to like university and and worked for a few years in Grand Rapids, so um, so I spent most of my adult life in Grand Rapids. But I grew up in a town called Muskegon, Michigan, which for those who are familiar with their Midwestern U.S. geography might recognize as as a it's a city on lake michigan so one of the great lakes um grew up in a you know sort of like a white flight suburb um went to a pretty nice school then studied film and video and philosophy at university then worked a bunch of different gigs in in marketing and uh, did some videography and photography work in there too. Uh, 
then I met uh, my fiance Carly, uh, who lives up here in Winnipeg. So um, after meeting her, that's the incentive for my my moving up to the um, up north, as it were. Uh, so that, the, those are the, the broad strokes. The great white north. Mm-hmm. So okay, how many people are in Muskega? Muskegon. Did I say it right? Muskegon. Yeah, I'll, I'll spell it out as I'm typing the Wikipedia page so that I can get you the accurate census data. Um, M-U-S-K. Oh, yeah, I can send it to you. GPS coordinates. Zeroing in. Zoom and enhance. M-U-S-K-E-G-O-N, comma, space, Michigan. It is the metropolitan area of Muskegon had a population of 172,188 in 2010. I was one of them because that was a year before I graduated from high school. So it's not like a small town, um, but it's it's nothing to to write home about either. It's one of those uh, sort of like industry towns that didn't fare well when the recession hit. And even before that, just it's like one of those Rust Belt towns that after the the, the fall of, of industry in the Midwest uh, didn't really recover. Um, and it's as a result and also as a result of um, all, things that tend to happen in U S cities because of like racist policies of uh, like redlining and stuff. There's like a lot of racial segregation. So Muskegon is actually one of the like top 10 most racially segregated cities in the u.s uh, partially because of um putting it like putting in a highway where that just so happens to sort of be on the line between uh more affordable and less affordable housing and then making that the 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 boundary between where you could and couldn't get uh better loan rates and and because of so many socioeconomic positions that ends up resulting in a really segregated city. So uh, it's a town with a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on for those reasons, a lot of sad stuff for those reasons. But I, I had a great time there. Um, and part of that comes from the privilege of my being white, right? Like I, I grew up um, in a middle-class neighborhood and uh, enjoyed the fact that I was like a 10-minute bike ride from Lake Michigan, which is gorgeous. And so Muskegon's primarily Caucasian then? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a few like different suburbs. the The city itself is almost like a ghost town at this point because everybody lives in some suburb or another. Um, so many attempts to like revitalize that town, but um, in terms of the different suburbs that are around, there's like North Muskegon and Norton Shores, which are um, whiter, more affluent suburbs, and then there are um, some of the ones in the middle, like. Um, like Muskegon itself. And then there's a much poorer uh, city called uh, Muskegon Heights, uh, which is quite poor and mostly black. And so like, it's, it's crazy. It's almost like when, when infrastructure was being built, it was almost like there was an intention and I don't want to put ideas into anyone's head. This is just like my insight. It's almost like there was an intention to manufacture segregation. Yeah, I don't know all the history of my town in of Muskegon in particular, but that is the history of the the U.S. in in like the fifties. I think is the is the right time period there. Where totally. It's like, yeah, yeah. That you're right. That like 
you're you're coming off of of an era where like you are very close to the civil rights movement, right? In the grand history of things. Um, and you're moving, you know, you're, you're, you know, kind of far away from, from slavery in the scheme of like American history, but you end up in this situation where people are still racist and people are still terrified of, Oh no, we can't have, have black people moving into our neighborhood. And so you end up with what first are explicitly racist policies that just say that that's like, uh, sorry, what's the word? Not landowners. Um, uh, landlords will put in their lease agreements. Like you, you can't be black or they'll have like a quota of, of how many people you can have. Um, and then it, uh, becomes more subtle. Like the, like federal loan practices will only be uh, like federal loans that are, that are helping people become homeowners, um, are only afforded to people in certain, sections of the city which just so happen to be the wider sections of cities and so yeah you you see that all over um the states especially in midwestern um cities uh, like chicago is a huge example of that yeah it's crazy i the the last guy mike um that i just did a three-part series with he grew up in east st louis right mm-hmm. and so i i didn't really know east st louis when he said it at first i thought it was just uh, part of St. Louis. Like I thought it was in Missouri, but it's in Illinois. And that's, it's that same, um, same theme where East St. Louis was on the other side of the river, right? No, I guess it's in a separate state, but it was on the other side of the river. And when, uh, when a lot of the Rust Belt towns, the Midwestern towns started, uh, getting affected in the fifties, um, just as far as like some of the industry, it just, the the socioeconomic conditions deteriorated so much and then it caused it was just like a vicious cycle of uh, ongoing poverty right and adversity where the people in the, the town um like they, they were just they were born into it and they they couldn't get out of that cycle as easily and it's it's just so crazy that that's that's a part of our history, right? Like our, I say our as in like North Americans, but just, I mean, I also have a U.S. passport as well. So let's, we'll just both see where we've got American citizenship for the sake of this, but like, that's a part of our history, right? It's, it's weird because it's, it shouldn't exist, but it does. And um, it's, it sucks that 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 still continues to this day in some, there is a sentiment that that continues to this day. It's not as literal where it's like, Oh, let's build infrastructure that separates people out. But um, yeah, man, it's like a mindset thing. It's like a psychological thing where there are people who consciously try to exclude and not maybe uh, ethnically or racially certain groups, but just uh, people uh, might be prejudiced towards certain groups because of their belief system. It's weird. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's tw- yeah. in 2018. Yeah. I bring that up. I, I bring that up about Muskegon almost because I feel like I, sh- I, sh- I should like that. That certainly wasn't my experience. As I mentioned, I have uh, aspects of like, I'm not, I'm not from like a wealthy family or anything. I'm not from a poor family either. Definitely a middle-class family, but um, because I'm white and because I went to a good school, 
I had a very, you know, privileged ex- existence in, in Muskegon. When, and so, but I thought I, I should bring that up because, you know, on the off chance that are, there are any Muskegon folks out there who had a very different experience with that town. I would be amiss if I didn't um, mention that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't my experience growing up. Uh, had a, had a pretty nice uh, childhood, I think. Um, so when you say like you had, uh, like you had a pretty good education, you had an exposure to a good education. Like what was that? Like, was it a private school or something? A public school called Mona Shores. Um, it's just known as like a pretty good uh, public school in the area. It had like a good uh, performing arts reputation. So I played in the band and the jazz band. Um, and uh, I was on the debate team uh, my my last two years of high school. Um, and And those types of, you know, a lot of schools don't have access to those sorts of extracurricular, or I guess they're not extracurricular, they were curricular, but um, elective opportunities. Um, and not only were those uh, electives very well taught and um, well funded, but the, um, you know, the your your basics, your 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 math and English, etc. Um, were also really well taught as well. So um I got the opportunity to learn a lot of different things and also have a have a good good education in the basics too. Yeah, it's funny because like, like so when we first met, I mean, this is just human nature, right? But um you meet someone and within seconds, whether or not we're conscious of it, within seconds you form a mental model of someone and you get to know them over time and maybe it's your own confirmation bias, but you start to um you start to, yeah, you confirm your own biases about that mental model, right? So I met you, I was like, oh yeah, like he's he's well-spoken, articulate guy. And then as we spoke more about some of the things that you're into, uh, I kind of started to guess, like you, I think you mentioned that you were into D&D and then, <laughs> and then just some of the word choice that you use and some of the things in the way that you speak, I was like, okay, he's pretty articulate. This guy must read a lot. So I'm sitting here, I'm like, Okay, this guy's a real deal. Like he's he's very thoughtful. He's well educated. Um, he's pretty dialed in, and it's funny because I always wondered like where that came from. And I guess it's it was a byproduct of being exposed to some of the electives or extracurricular things that you were into at a younger age. Yeah. So I guess before I'll respond to that, I'll I'll do one point of of correction um, that I wouldn't have like corrected you on. You know, as you mentioned, we know each other from work, and I you know, wouldn't have brought this up at work just because it's not something that I typically get into in a professional setting like that. But For sure. um, I, actually, I use they and them pronouns instead of he and him because I'm, I'm non-binary. Um, but um, so that's the point of correction. But uh, yeah, like I, uh, I think debate in particular was a pretty big turning point for me. Um because not because it's not because of the simple fact of, Oh, now I'm exposed to ideas that go against the, the beliefs I already had, but the exposure to the fact that any belief can be argued and any, any perspective can have evidence. So 
just because you can make an argument for what you believe doesn't necessarily mean that you should believe it. The fact that it's about the weight of the evidence and it's about the internal and external consistency of your sort of grand narrative of how the world works. Um, and, and the fact that I got all of that out of a high school activity and it pretty profoundly changed the way I think about the world. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a benefit of, of going to a school that, that is able to provide that experience. Right. For sure. And I mean, it's funny that you, um, you talk about debating because, uh, the the school that I went to here, it's um, it's well known for its debating program. There's this, yeah. and this is like a side. Now we're getting granular, but I got I got to talk to you about it because. Oh, I, I, I could go. I could go in. We could talk. We could uh, talk about the disad. We could talk about the uniqueness link, internal link, and impact of I, the disadvantage oh, to the to the affirmative. Like, what, ooh, what, I, I've, I I coached high school debate. I coached. I was the assistant coach briefly for the high school team that I was on, you know, when I was in college, I was assistant coach for my high school's debate team. So it's, it's still fairly fresh in my mind, all of the, the jargon that makes no sense out of context. For sure. And it's, it's interesting because, um, on that coaching notion, you like what you learn with debating, right. Is that you can, um, you're given a side and you have to, you have to stand up for that. Yep. You have to like whether or not you believe that position. If you are given that position, you have to argue it to the best of your abilities, right? And so, I don't know what it is, but the guy at the school that I went to is he's he's like a, a, he's a master. He's a savant of debating, and the school has won the world debating championships. It's like fourteen or fifteen times out of <laughs> out of the yeah. past thirty years that this guy has been head of debating or like running the program, and so I always thought, like, man, you gotta like put together a documentary that's called "You Can't Argue That," and then it's like about this guy <laughs> who's like, I I don't know how he's so good, but he's obviously like, I mean, maybe once it happens, maybe twice, and you're like, okay, the third time you're like, okay, this is not fluke, but. When you're talking about uh, a 50% success rate at winning the world debating championships, right? I, I got to give him a shout out, John Robinson. He's he is unbelievable, and he kind of flies under the radar, but very nice man. And he's into Renaissance and medieval studies and all these interesting things. As a side note, but uh, yeah, like y- you have to know what you're doing to be that good. So obviously he's teaching people how to think critically about both sides of an argument, which is really neat. I think it changes your mindset and your perspective on the world. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And I, I grew up, my, my family is, is not hardline in any sense, but they are conservative. They are, you know, we're a, like as a family, we would, you know, go to church every Sunday. That That's sort of, that's sort of like, um, you know, religious conservative. That's, that's the bill that the, the wheelers fit. Um, I think, I think even my parents have, have changed a, a little bit, at least in terms of their, their politics, uh, certainly not their, their faith. They, they may remain strong in that sense, but um, I think in their politics, uh, even they have changed a little bit just in, just because of, 
you know, the times change. But um, yeah, I, I grew up in a family that was fairly conservative. And, and I think in the sense that children or young people or teenagers, young adults, whatever you want to say, tend to believe things in a way that is different than the way in which adults believe them. I ended up being, I think, more staunchly conservative as a young person than even my parents who taught me those beliefs because they're free-thinking adults, so they come to their conclusions based on their experience and their observation and, and, you know, they have an argument for their beliefs, whereas I was a kid, so... It was just these things are right and these things are wrong and and having that very um, dogmatic uh, deciding factor for for what I believed I think made me even uh, more strongly conservative in that sense. And then when I started growing up and, and, you know, I think debate was a big influence on this and started being exposed to not just other ideas, but as I mentioned, the fact that those other ideas had similarly, um, you could similarly view, view them from the, the other perspective of actually those things are wrong. These things are right. Like they all have their own internal consistencies. And the fact that, um, I hadn't really thought of it that way exposed me to, to just try and think in different ways. And, you know, I ended up settling in, in a, I guess pretty far left uh, position in terms of my politics um, and, and debate also exposed me to philosophy, which was, uh, you know, one, one of the two in my, in my double major, one of the two subjects in my double major in university. So I, I guess debate was a pretty big turning point in that sense. Yeah. It, you know, it's kind of this, this, I don't want to say funny, that's the wrong adjective for it, but um, it's interesting to have debate and philosophy as these two underlying elements right because as soon as you get like as soon as you really get deep into philosophy or um, just anybody who's got a more philosophical view of the world then you're always thinking about things in um, some people might not agree about it because you're you're not always you're trying to think through things in um, in as rational a way as you can and you're trying to be objective and part of doing that is to think about the way that something might affect a ton of people in a ton of different ways, right? Like you're not just hard nosed on one position. And so that's part of uh, when you, when you have that philosophical lens on the world, but then you pair it with debating where you're taking all these different positions and you think, I'm not just thinking about something this way. If I had to argue it, this is how I'd factually back it up. Then you become really, um, strong in your mindset or strong in your, your thought process, but also reasonable in your understanding of other people's uh, viewpoints. Yeah. And it's it, the, the, the fact that philosophy gives you the, the mental exercise of putting yourself in the thought process or in the perspective of a way of thinking that is just so alien to you, but you still manage to do it by, by reading these, these other thinkers and, and thinking about things the way that they do. It's yeah, it's a good experience both 
inter and intra personally, right? Because as you mentioned, it allows you to understand other people's perspectives, but it also allows to allows you to understand your own and how you come to your own perspectives in a more coherent and I, I guess intimate way. I think I think it's really easy to have your beliefs and, and think you know why you hold them, but to do the exercise of really drilling down and determining what counts as enough evidence for me what what how do i weigh that evidence to find that belief knowing your own parameters is helpful in, in improving yourself as well as understanding others perspectives yeah and so is your like i know you've got is it only one brother that you've got Yep. Uh, one older brother, DJ, he's uh, like six or seven years older than me, like six and a half. Um, and he and I are, are pretty similar. And because of that age difference, I always looked up to him as a kid. So a lot of his interests ended up being mine. Uh, although he went a different route professionally than I did. He's, uh, he's an engineer. He studied chemical engineering and university and then went on to do environmental consulting work and he's he's done that ever since he graduated but even though our professions are are very different we were were super similar in terms of our interests because as i mentioned i I looked up to him as a kid and so you end up looking up to those hobbies as well so we're both into very similar uh music that would scare our parents uh, if they didn't, I, they already know we listen to it, but it continues to scare them. Um, we listen to a lot of metal and we, we are also really into uh, a lot of the same movies and that sort of thing. I think I, I, I dropped you for one sec there, but it uh, doesn't look like the wave picked it up, but that's okay. It looks like, I mean, I'm recording locally too. So if, if you need that, I've, I've got the local recording. Um <laughs> Dude, you're so on it. Uh, okay, so DJ, you're saying you're like I think we're good now, but you're saying DJ, um, you, the two of you are into some of the same things. Yeah, just because when I was growing up, a lot of his hobbies ended up being mine because, you know, when you've got someone who's who's significantly but not too much older than you, you you've got you get to experience a lot of a lot of cool things right like when you're for just for example when you're 10 having a 16 year old as as an older brother like that 16 year old is going to be way cooler than that 10 year old so and have way cooler interests and so i i I think i leached in a lot of ways off of my brother's interests um and i think that just primed me to be quite similar to him uh, as as i did become an adult because i had a lot of the same uh exposure to a lot of the same media that that he did so yeah yeah we we talk every week about movies and and stuff because we do a podcast together about it and and that's kind of how we that's how we bond i guess it's probably different for a lot of other siblings but i think i think we communicate more than might meet the eye when we're just talking about you know david lynch or whatever We're, we're talking about a lot more things when when we do that so um, I think our, our common interests have, have made us pretty close as siblings. But that, I mean, that's a pretty cool way to connect, right? Like, so it's, it, ke- it keeps you in touch once a week um, where I don't want to say you're forced, but you both have, uh, 
you both have that focused agenda where, you know, on day X or whatever it is, you know, once a week we're doing this thing together and you kind of form this, it's like another layer of chemistry on top of being siblings, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Like the, the, the reason we started the the show is, and and there was actually a predecessor, God, I, it, it, it pains me sometimes to think of the fact that I was on podcasts when I was in high school, the fact that there are recordings of the, the dweeb that was high school me, the fact that that is recorded <laughs> indelibly on this thing we call the internet. Um, I'm going to find them, man. I'm going to find times them. It's terrifying to me. I, I would be astonished if you found this particular show, uh, but my brother and I had a show that's essentially a precursor to what we do now. And so with the exception of those few years, between that precursor show and the one we do now with the exception of, of those years, we've kind of just been talking about movies and music every week. And and that's, that's the reason, right? It, it gives it's, it's a reminder on my calendar every week to call my brother. We, we just so happen to record it and send it out to people on the internet to listen to it as well. But uh, it's, it's, it's a good way to, to keep in touch. Yeah. And so where's he at right now? Like, is he still in Grand Rapids or? No, he's in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, you um, dude, you told me that. You told me that. Yeah, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice town. Um, he's lived there. Gosh, I guess at this point, like probably like a decade is it's weird to think, but yeah. So he went there after school or something. Yep. That's where he, that's where he found a job. Yep. And, um, and then he, like, does he go back home and see your parents often or, cause I know that, I mean, that's yeah, a, long, long weekends and that sort of thing. And then that is why we initially, when I was in high school and he was just out of university, that's, that's when we started podcasting together because it, it was that excuse to, to, to call him every, every week, because other than that, like, I mean, if, it, it's I guess it's maybe sad to say this, but it would feel weird to just give him a, a call every week, you know, and, and I think a lot of people are probably s- kind of sympathetic to that in that the, the way relationships work, you you often form stronger bonds around those people with whom you meet on a regular scheduled basis. Uh, and so I think in a lot of ways I've I've built podcasts out of the friendships that I want to, or, or in the case of, of my brother, the, the sibling relationships that I want to make sure that I maintain. And and I'm not great with social, social uh, I guess I am fine in friendships and things, but I have a difficulty remaining close. I, I tend to cloister myself a little bit. So, so forcing myself every week, you have to spend at least one hour with with these people that you care about uh it it makes sure that i that i keep those priorities straight for sure but i mean it's funny man because like if you so if you've got let's just say on the agenda you've got like call well you and you and carly did long distance right but um yeah call call once a day call once a week call once or whatever then it becomes and I say it in the the softest way possible, but it becomes um, monotonous. It becomes uh, 
an initiative of effort when you're like, I'm calling for the sake of calling. But when you've got you, when you've got something that you're doing, i.e., I'm going to call my best friend or I'm going to call my brother, I'm going to call my fiance, I'm going to call my parents so that I can tell them about my weekly hockey game. Then you right, have right. you have something that has a starting point and a finishing point, and you know when it's done. Not like what have you been up to? Oh, you know the same old, right? That that gets monotonous and boring. But you can get behind, or you can get excited about something that you're like, "Okay, man, I'm ready to tell DJ about like this new record yeah. that just dropped, and I discovered it on Spotify, and we have to talk about the way the tracks are mixed." Whatever it is, right? You get behind it and you get <laughs> yeah, super yeah, yeah. passionate about it. something super nerdy, but it's it's better than just being, hey man, like how's work going? And it's not perfect. It's not a perfect strategy by any means. I um I I've had it backfire, not like backfire, like, oh, and now I'm not friends with those people, but I but I've had my um my 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 cheat code for friendship that is start a podcast with that person. I have, I have had that not go as swimmingly um, because I'm still very, I'm still very close friends with these people, but I used to, for six years, I was on a podcast about the video game Pokemon and summary of me in one sentence. I was for six years. I was on a podcast about the video game Pokemon. It's probably the best summary. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm very good friends with all those, those people. Um, I ended up sort of just spin, spinning off so that I could spend more time on my own projects. Cause that, that wasn't a, you know, that wasn't a podcast that I started. So I kind of wanted going forward, the things that I worked on to have a sense of ownership. Right. So, um, anyway, there, I, I had a conversation with the, the guy who runs that show, Steve, uh, Steve Black Jr., super nice dude, um, and we're good friends. And I remember having a discussion with him where he was saying that he had a closer friendship with the other guy in the show. And it's totally true that the other guy, Will, he and Will play PS4 games with each other like every night. And as a result, they're they're closer friends than than he and I are or or will and I are um, just because I spend less time with them. And I, I explained to him like, and this cleared things up a little bit. I explained to him like, no, I, I talked to the two of you and the fact that I talk to you weekly on our podcast for an hour and a half puts the two of you leagues above the amount at which I talk to any of my other friends. And, and I think that's the, it, it took my saying that for, for him to realize like, Oh, you might not come that that you know wheels might not come off like this, but they are more of an introvert than they seem, and and I think he realized like, oh, the the two hours that we spend a week is is actually a lot for uh, for for me, right? And I and I think realizing that uh, helped us be better friends, and we were already friends, but helped us be better friends after that. Um, and so, in in a lot of ways, like. I think my little strategy of start something with some start a a reason to to continue hanging out with people might make it seem like oh you know wheels is only hanging out with me because they have to to be able to put out this podcast when when the whole reason I 
want to be involved is to make sure I'm spending time with those those people. Does that rant make sense? Uh, so so does this mean that we're going to be best friends and start a podcast now? <laughs> only, only, only if you ask me to do it every week, um, which might be a lot. I I I would be I would be very happy to be very good friends with you, Ben. Oh, well, it is a mutual feeling. And I do think we have to have an offline conversation about starting some kind of podcast because we'll do something. I don't know what, but we'll do something. Maybe we'll start. Dude, we should start a podcast about debating or something. That would be so Going back, the, the, the specific type of debate that my high school did is called policy debate. I'm not sure if you're familiar with all of the different varieties there are so many but that was the one where you weren't judged as much on your eloquence as you were by the sheer force of your argumentation and so as a result the incentives are such that the students just make their arguments as fast as possible so they make as many as possible as fast as they can within the hopes that when it comes time for the other team to respond, their kid can't talk as fast and is just (laughs) not going to have time to answer a handful of them. And even if they're garbage, garbage arguments, because the other kid didn't have time to answer them, then it's like, okay, you didn't have a response to this. So I win the debate. A podcast built around that type of rapid speech might be profoundly sonically unpleasant. (laughs) So what you're saying is the micro machine man would have just crushed the debating program at your school. (laughs) Just speak as fast as you can about one position and you're pretty much going to win. It's wild. If you can find video, they call it spreading because you're like you know, spreading the opponent thin, I guess, is the analogy. If if you can find, you can find YouTube videos of people doing it to search like policy debate spreading. And it's, it's wild to see high school students uh, move at that, move their mouths at that rapid pace. <laughs> I am going to research it. I'll have to for, for a new podcast. <laughs> spread mm-hmm. The podcast will be called spreading. <laughs> the weekly spread. <laughs> the weekly spread. Oh man, that's too rich. That's funny. So, so what's your, your parents deal? Like they're still in Grand Rapids and what, uh, yeah, they're on, they're in Muskegon. Yeah. Grand Rapids. Okay. Wait, hold on there. So when you move to Grand Rapids, like your parents are still in Muskegon. Yep. Yeah. Oh dude. It's like 40 minutes away, but yeah. I see. I thought you meant when I thought everyone was from Grand Rapids. So like you moved out to Grand Rapids, but they stayed in Muskegon and what do like, what do they do out there? Yeah, so my dad is a project manager for a mechanical contractor. Uh, so he does work with a lot of things that are that are way over my head in terms of how boilers work or how pipes are fitted. Just stuff that I would have no idea how to do. Um, but yeah, he's a project manager, so he's he's kind of the the guy who makes sure he, you know, he, he looks at all of the available employees and decides, okay, Jim Bob would be the best person for, for this gig. Or, you know, Susan is, has, is a really great pipe fitter. So she'll be great at, uh, at this project that, that our company was hired to do. And so he, they do a lot of work at, um, 
like a lot of manufacturers and plants out in in the area. Um, and then my mom has done a lot of different things. Uh, she has only worked part time. She was mostly like a stay at home mom when I was really young. But once I started going to school, um, specifically when I started going to school, because you know when my brother was in school, then there was little me to take care of. But once we were both in grade school, she started doing part-time work. So she's done, she was an assistant teacher at a preschool. She then after that did, I guess it was just those two things. She was an assistant preschool teacher. And then for quite a long time now, she's been a high school or, or just a public school lunch lady at the school district that I went to. So there were a lot of points where you were supposed to get your parents' signature on the syllabus, and I totally forgot, but I could just run to the lunchroom and get my mom to sign it for me. That's funny, man, that you had that experience because – so, like, you went to the same school that your mom worked at. That's right. Yeah. So, so my – like, my parents – I went to the same school that my my dad's an English teacher, and Mm -hmm. my mom uh, works in the library. Right. There are books everywhere in my parents' house. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Everywhere. And now my kids have books. And I have the one thing that I have, man, is I got a collection of hardcover books. Like, I don't know why. I just, I like the feel and smell and all these things about books. And so um, it it was kind of an interesting experience because not a lot of kids had that, uh, I guess, that opportunity where you'd go to school and, like, if you got in trouble, your parents would know right away because it's school and they're there, right? But my mom, she, she was a stay-at-home mom too until she started doing the library thing mm-hmm. um, when we went into school. I think it was like grade six or something that she started. But Yeah, so a very similar thing to, to mine. I think that's around when my mom started doing lunch. And yeah, it it's uh, it's funny you say like, you know, if you got in trouble, your parents would know. I was such a goody two-shoes in school that it was just a win-win for me. <laughs> that You know, like I always had a ride to school. I didn't have to take the bus because my mom had to get there too. Like I said, if if I ever needed like a parent's signature on a thing, I had it on lock. If, if I like, you know, f- like, you know, if I forgot something or, or whatever, like, I could go down to the lunchroom and get my mom to do it for me. It was great. <laughs> uh, see, I was the, I was the opposite, man. I was like, it was, it was great. I loved seeing my parents, but where I think that they, I mean, I've talked to them a little bit about it, but not, not tons. Um, I can extrapolate based on some of our conversations, but I, I was like a really bad student, man. Like I was not good. Mm-hmm. And, um, the school that I went to was, uh, it, it was a good education. Like it was a, it was a private school, but we weren't super well off or anything. We're like, my parents were both teachers, right? Um, I was, right. I was just very fortunate to be able to have the opportunity to go there and the exposure to go there. But I was really bad, man. Like I was like C's and D's. That's what I'd get C's mm-hmm. and D's. So my poor parents, like now that I'm older and I can like, be introspective about it my poor parents like they'd have to face some of their well my parents best friends right my parents best friend was one of the other english teachers at the school and 
I, of course, I had him as a teacher. Like, what's he supposed to say? Be like, your son sucks right. at English. He can't get more <laughs> than like a C if he's lucky. Marry a topic sentence in sight. Yeah, like I was just really bad. And it was due to a lack of effort more than a lack of uh, yeah. understanding, I think. I just didn't really get school and I just couldn't apply myself. Um so it's kind of, it's funny now because I, like I love writing and I love doing all these things, but my poor parents, man, like, and I was, I was a pretty mischievous kid too. Like I got into a lot of trouble just out of curiosity, but not out of disrespect. So it wasn't like, oh, your kid acts up and swears at teachers. It was like, oh, your kid is crawling under the, uh, like the dirt trails, the crawl space of the school trying to get like, just get around. Like it was like that kind of sh- crap, you know? Um, but yeah, I feel bad, man. Cause like they had to deal with it and they never, like, they never got mad at me for it. I think they just understood that, um, it's just the way that I was, but what a, what a weird thing, right? Where you go to school and your parents are there and you're kind of like, Oh, not every kid has this. So it was, uh, it was interesting, but I feel, I feel pretty, I feel grateful now that I had that experience. Right. Um, I think it was tough too for my dad when like, I was in his homeroom in grade 11 and we lived on the campus of the school because um, they were both boarding masters. And oh, so you I, went to like, uh, so you went to a boarding school. Well, it, it was a private school and there was boarding there. Yeah. yeah. So I had like 60 friends that all lived on campus that like we lived on campus yeah. together. Right. Um, and that's why I'd get into trouble because they don't have parents there. And we'd just go off and whatever, be mischievous. But anyway, um, I, I was in my dad's homeroom in grade 11. I got assigned to it. I think it was tough for him <laughs> because like I was always late. I was like, I, I was like the notoriously late kid until I was really bad at being late until I was probably like, hmm, like late twenties, man. Like, yeah, like probably 10 years ago, I got better. I just changed, changed the game. But I was really bad. I was like late for everything and just whatever. So like how can my dad like not scold me? But he had – it was like weird for him. I <laughs> think he had to like give me trouble but he couldn't as easily. But he had to be objective and fair to everyone else. So um, anyways, it was uh, it was quite the experience. So when I was out of his homeroom in grade 12, I think he was like, man, that's so much better for me because now I'm not put in this awkward position of like – getting mad at you but not getting mad at you and knowing why you're late every day because you just suck shit at like being on time <laughs> like you know <laughs> uh it was fun yeah it was just so different for me because like i said i was a bit of a goody two-shoes so was there on time i was i'm very lucky in that i'm good at school or i was good at school i'm, I'm not in school anymore but i I, I don't consider myself an incredibly intelligent individual. Like that's 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 not how I see myself. But I do see myself as a person who is good at tests. I see myself as a good person who is good at writing essays. And if you're good at those two things, you're probably pretty good at school. So I lucked out in 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 that sense. And yeah, I after that, I just moving on from high school. I guess I, as you mentioned. I moved to the Grand Rapids area uh, when I went to Grand Valley State University. It's a really good school. Uh, it's it's not like you know one of the bigger name schools like <laughs> Michigan State or, or U of M, but 
It was a good education. My one of my aforementioned friend Will always calls it Sweet Valley Dude. High University. <laughs> it's, uh, it sounds it's, it's such a good joke. It, it's, but. it sounds it seriously sounds like Grand. What's it called? Grand Valley High. Grand Valley State University. Like that sounds like like a university that Biff and Michael J. Fox. Would oh, it sounds purely <laughs> fictional. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it is, it is back. It's certainly Hill Valley, California adjacent. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, <laughs> what a good it's movie. It's, it's got an interesting history because it started, and I've never heard of anything called this before, but it, it started out as a cluster college. I think a lot of the people who even go to Grand Valley wouldn't, wouldn't know all this history, but uh, it, started out as a bunch of different colleges that were loosely associated with each other and each had a radically different educational philosophy. Like if you went to one was called like the Thomas Jefferson school. One was the William James one. Yeah. There's Thomas Jefferson college, William James college. There are some other ones that I don't remember, but, but it's like, Oh yeah. Thomas Jefferson. That's the one that had no grades. William James. Yeah. That's the one where like, all the students smoked weed with a professor. Like they all had their own like <laughs> idiosyncrasies. And so as a result, it, it, it did end up becoming just a, a more typical state university uh, in 1960, I think is when it went from the sort of cluster college thing to just being a state university. And so th- I mean, that's fairly recent in terms of like the educational, like the history of higher ed in the States. So uh as a result, it's still kind of close to that that weird history there, but it's also just like kind of trying its best to be, you know, the little liberal arts school, you know, punching above its weight class. And so it, it's it's a lot of different things at at once. But um, I think the way in which I benefited most from from how Grand Valley operates is, you know, I mentioned one of those schools was William James College and uh, fellow philosophy students would recognize that name as as a philosopher. Um, one of my favorites, actually, who was one of the founders of the of pragmatism of that line of thought. And so as a result, the school is very influenced by his thought as well. And even if your subject matter is very theoretical, you still have to learn, you still end up learning the nuts and bolts and and the ground level stuff. So my film degree, my film and video degree, even though it was, my emphasis was in cinema studies and I was the, the nerd talking about film theory and all that, I still had to learn how to use a camera. And I, I even though I was studying philosophy I I still had to uh, take classes that are that are that were more. I had to take a lot of like gen ed classes, um, but even in those subject matters, they they made sure that what you were teach that they were not just teaching you theory, but also teaching you practice. So even though I I am a much more theoretically minded, or 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 my inclination is is towards theory in pretty much anything that I. I'm interested in, I was still taught the practical skills that are frankly more important in, in one's, at least in one's professional capacities. Um, so I, I, I benefited from the sort of weird history of that school in a lot of ways. But, but what a good tool to have in the belt, right? Like not to, totally. not to dig into work too much, but like how handy is it to have 
that in your back pocket when it's like, oh, we've got to go do X. And you're like, okay, cool, done. Right? Like you've got a lot of cool. Yeah. Uh, I know how a camera works. Sure. Exactly. you got these tools in the belt. And I think it's also like it's interesting just when people um, get exposure to things. So let's say that uh, let's use something unrelated, but – you had the opportunity to take like a three month summer course about framing foundations for houses and roofs or something. And you're like, Oh, cool. Now I can apply that to being handier and I can build cabinets or like make my own furniture pieces. Like, it's just like, it's all, it all transpires from learning one little skill and then you build upon it. So it's, it's neat that you did get that, um, that experience you know that opportunity to learn something that you you were i don't want to say forced but it was a byproduct of the school that you went to yeah and yeah college was i keep saying keep struggling i'm as i've already mentioned i moved to winnipeg recently and i'm trying very hard to do the Canadian thing and, and say all the Canadian versions of things so as to not alienate my peers I know up here they make a very hard distinction between college and university. No, dude, it's, it's not. I struggle so much for I'm real. Trying. For real, I, okay, okay. Let's talk about this for a sec. Fill me in. What, like, what are, I, like, I know there are some hard differences when because my sister lives in the south, right? Like, my sister lives in Atlanta, and my best friend lives in Nashville. So I'm very aware of some of the hard differences that you and I will both agree are southern versus northern but let's talk canada versus the u.s because northern versus more northern yeah like 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 i I don't buy the whole like university versus college like to me if when you say college i'm not like oh listen to that guy he's from the u.s right like college to me is just like another reference towards university it's the same i mean i i i kid but I I'm I'm totally I'm totally joking. It's 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 not like I, I feel like a fish out of water. Like if you were to pick two, yeah, you you would struggle to find two countries that are more similar uh, than than Canada and the states, at least in terms of their their culture. But uh, I it's just those those small things, and uh, because it's so similar, those small things end up really sticking out in my mind and being kind of funny. So that's why I bring them up. But uh, but like in in the states, I think we use those terms really interchangeably. But I think here, from my understanding, if you say college, more people are more likely to think like a community college or like a trade school or something like that. Probably that's my understanding. But anyway, you're right. You're right with that. But now that I think about it, so now that we're on the topic, like up here, everyone calls it pop, right? But in the yeah. U.S., like everyone's like, "Hey, I'll have a soda." And then the further south you go, people just order Coke. And then you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, where what? is that border? Is that <laughs> at the Mason-Dixon line? Like, is that how that was determined? I like it. So why? I, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, so I, I called it pop as well. And the idea that anyone would just call the the sweet carbonated thing that you put in your body Coca-Cola. Like, not that they would call it that, but it, it, it's staggering. Dude, the, I, I ordered a Coke one time when I was in the, in the south, and they were like, what kind of Coke? I'm like... Uh, what kind of coke do you have? I'm yeah. like, just the regular coke, please. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, okay, just want to make sure you don't want orange or something. I was like, if I wanted a fucking orange, I would have said orange. 
<laughs> but they call yeah. because it's like you order Coke or you order tea, right? And then it's like, well, do you want like sweet tea or unsweet tea? Right. And you're like, oh man, like why so many choices? Why so many At- choices? Anyway, my my joke about college versus university aside, when I was in university, it seems so British to me. When I was in college, <laughs> uh, it does sound uni- uh, British. It's um, college was in because I was just talking about how in a lot of ways high school is where I changed politically. I think college is where I changed the most socially and um spiritually is probably the wrong term but but in in my just my general outlook and my my sort of internal disposition of how i saw myself and and how i saw myself fitting into the world i think i think college was a a big turning point for like a a, a lot of of reasons that we could go into if you want but um yeah, so I think if you could, you can think about it that way. That that high school is when I started my sort of logical thinking system started to change, and and college is when a lot of the more emotional parts of of my brain started to to change a little bit. And I'm sure so many people have have that same experience. But I don't know. It, I guess it doesn't matter that I fit into that stereotype, right? There's a reason it exists. Of course, but it's new experiences because you go to you go to college and all of a sudden you're around a bunch of new people. But I mean, so dig in, like what, so what changed? Like you go, you went to college and then what changed? Like you um, emotionally, you said you changed, yeah. right? This is something that I, I used to not talk about this, but in the last few years, I've sort of stopped caring a little bit um, because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I don't know why I like kept it secret, but um I was having uh, a hard time um, reconciling my background growing up in a in a church with the the different ways that I was you know seeing the world not not that you know far left politics and Christianity are incommensurable but the the type of both that I was subscribed to at the same time were, were kind of incommensurable. Right. And that's like a lot of cognitive dissonance for someone who's like 20 years old. Um, and, and it wasn't at all the typical story of, you know, you go to college and, and all of a sudden, like you abandon your faith. It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't that at all with me but because i was trying so hard to make them both work i was trying so hard to make um sort of my uh my these two competing dispositions i was trying to find a way in which they could live in harmony a lot of people totally can can make that balance work but uh, me in that place i was having a hard time doing it um and i was studying you know as you know i was studying philosophy at the time so uh, i was exposed to like meditation and stuff so i was try i would i would spend these long nights as i mentioned already i'm a bit of an introvert so i would have these these nights alone where i would get into sort of like a meditative prayer situation where i i would try to figure out those questions and how to reconcile these beliefs that maybe seemed like they 
were competing, but you know, maybe there was some secret way of, of orienting my beliefs such that um, they, it all made sense and it all clicked. And th- there was a period where like, it was working super well. Like I, I would meditate on a thing, on a concept and in these sort of prayer sessions. And I would feel like I would come out with, with a better understanding of um, how I could fit all these different ideas. But there was a point at which it just totally broke. And I did the thing that I was doing very often. I started meditating and, you know, I've read research on this afterwards that, there are rare cases in which, whereas meditation is typically good for people who have anxiety, sometimes in these rare, like 2% occasions, it makes it significantly worse. Um, and I think that's what happened. I had the, I guess, you know, I, I have not touched, you know, recreational drugs in my life, but the sort of I, what I would imagine being the meditations equivalent to like a bad trip where it it was like it it felt like the thing that people of faith talk about so glowingly like these experiences where they really feel some external for they really feel god or they really feel some some supernatural being i i felt something that felt distinctly uh, outside of me and felt very alien and it it f- felt like the thing that had been answering my questions in in my previous uh you know times meditating um and i felt it very powerfully and more intensely than i had in in those those previous attempts and when i came out of it for literal days i was just shaking because it was just such a mental overload of just just way too much information like my brain had sort of short-circuited or something and i was physically shaking i could hardly concentrate on anything i was lucky that it happened like i think it happened before a long weekend or something like that so i wasn't expected to do a lot but for a handful of days i was useless and even after that i um, found myself a way more anxious person and I found myself um, very scared and um, weirdly broken and, and I had this thought of like this is what people who are very strong of faith talk about as the end goal, right? They're not the end goal, but one of the main goals is to feel close to some external supernatural being. And, you know, whether you want to believe that I did that, which these days I don't think I, I even believe that, but whether you want to believe I really touched something or whether or not I just went into some weird place within my own mind, I got as close to that, that vision that, that people of faith have. And, um, and it stunk and, and I came out the other end and felt broken and, um, uh, like a worse off person for doing so. And so I told myself I would kind of take a break from, uh, spirituality for a while and, you know, see in a year or so what I thought. And in a year or so, I, I still didn't have a desire to, to go back into, faith or or anything like that um and that's kind of where i where i still 
find myself you know maybe there's a future in which i grow older and i and i feel the need for that again but i i've sort of separated from that and so i think that affected me a lot in terms of how i emote i think i'm a much more emotive person after that experience just because i was found so vulnerable through that and then also just the way i i think about the world obviously changed a lot from that that was a lot of babbling from me but yeah no man it's so is it like when this all was happening was it because you were struggling with your faith like you you were caught between this uh this dichotomy of not knowing whether to take like back to debating right whether to take one position or the other yeah that that's that's how i think about it now and i think that's the that's the narrative about that experience that makes the most sense to me that my brain was struggling very hard to be two different people at once. And I was trying very hard to make that work. And at some fundamental level, my brain wasn't able to be both of those people. And I was really diving deep into my own subconscious to try to make that work. And, and it couldn't. And so yeah, something had to give. And, and I guess that's, that's how it, how it went yeah i mean it's when you get get down to those deep layers it's it's hard because you're not sure of what to think when you're 20 years old like the reality is people's executive function right like yeah. the, the prefront or the prefrontal cortex of the brain just isn't developed at that point and you're just you're coming out of this period of your life when um let's assume that somebody has been just for argument's sake, right? Let's assume somebody's been in a consistent environment for 12 years, like grade one to 12. You've gone to school with relatively the same people in relatively the same area. And you've had relatively the same experience, i.e. you go to school, you learn about a bunch of stuff, and then you go home at the end of the day. That, that we're just going to call that base case. So that exists for 12 years. And that seems like a lifetime when you're a kid. But then all of a sudden, snap your fingers and you're put into this completely um, alien environment, right? Like it's a different, it's a different planet you're on altogether. You're in college. You have autonomy. It doesn't matter whether or not there's a bell. Because you don't even have to go. No one's checking in on you. And you're around these different people that you might not have been around before and these different uh, mindsets, these these different perspectives. And it makes it really challenging for people to um, to hold on to the position that they did for the those first 12 years, right, when they were in high school. And it's like you can't, you can't blame a person for challenging it's actually healthy to challenge your own mindset, challenge your perspective, as opposed to anchor on it and say, nope, this is the only way the world is. As soon as you anchor on something that might not be right, especially at a young age, you are in the red zone. You're on the red line. You're in dangerous territory. Yeah, and what you're articulating is very close to the the Buddhist understanding, right? That the thing that makes us unhappy most often is attachment to something is we we feel like some concept is immutable or some relationship won't ever change or you know there is there's something that we are profoundly holding on to and 
the thing changes because that's how life works and we are we're, we're blindsided by that and i don't know if if that perspective is something that i agree with wholeheartedly like in every situation but it's it's certainly a useful it's certainly a useful metaphor and i think it it definitely works in that in that case especially when you're when you're young because those you tend to to be very attachment prone absolutely and i mean life life is uh an iterative iterative process of uh, birth and death, right? So it's like it's the birth and death of personas. It's the birth and death of ideas. It's the birth and death of actual people, right? Like the the physical beings that we are. But throughout life, from the time when a person is born to the time that they die, um, it is a truly iterative process where you're always evolving and you're always changing. And Travis Wheeler that's six years old is not Travis Wheeler of today. And Ben Grenell of 31 years old is not Ben Grenell of 37 years old. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and when, yeah, I, I think about that aspect of it a lot too. I was joking before about how, frightened i am by the existence of recordings of my 16 year old voice on a podcast about pokemon from seven years ago at this point i I guess it wouldn't be 16 but whatever uh i'm 25 you can do the math um i was joking about how much that frightens me and and i it it is 90 percent a joke i'm not really afraid that young me was had those hobbies but there is a recording of a person that I don't really identify with anymore. Right. I, I don't, there are certainly a lot of things I have in common with that person. We share a lot of things. We share the same name. We share the same parents, but there are perhaps more ways in which we're very different. And, and so the fact that, you know, a lot of people listen to podcasts in order and the fact that the first impression a lot of people have of me is a 17 year old talking about whether or not Squirtle is better than Charmander is <laughs> a very strange uh, thing for that, for that very reason. Yeah. But that's evolution, man. It's uh, I was listening to what was I listening to today? Ah, I was listening to a Seth Godin podcast. He just came out with this new one. Um, it's very good, actually. Um, anyways, he was talking about how, like, you have to start somewhere. And he was um, referencing the early Jerry Seinfeld material and the early Billy Joel tapes. They were terrible. And I, now that I think about it, um, he didn't even talk about this, but you too, if you've ever seen the early early days of bono singing like that guy was so off key his pitch was terrible their songs were terrible their timing was terrible like everything was really bad about it but you have to also appreciate that you don't just start at like start at a high level you have to get there it takes time and and part of that process is appreciating how far someone's come Right, so it's like yeah, I can I can understand why you'd be embarrassed, but right. like the one yeah. thing that 
that is the same. Like you said, you've got the same name and you've got certain characteristics. The DNA is the same. Like no matter what, the DNA is the same. It is you. It's just that you have evolved. You've matured. You've you've grown, and that's what we do in life, right? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's and it's it's a uh, it's a thing that I think the generation after me is going to be a lot better at than me and my generation because they're the folks who I, I was. I'm I'm young, but I still lived before this uh, this this tradition of of carving everything in stone that we call the internet, right? I, I existed before social media for a decent chunk of my young life, and then was was brought into it as as we all were um, the the generation that's younger than me who are living with that from the jump. I think they're going to be a lot better with being not only being comfortable with, but also being savvy about living in a, in a digital world where so much of yourself is, is recorded. It's, it's still a thing that kind of wigs me out, even though I for fun record myself digitally uh, three times a week, but it's, yeah, it's, it's still a little weird to me. You're a true savage. I, I, <laughs> I, man, I remember the internet when it came. Like I, I lived before the internet. That's I, as crazy as it is uh, when when we first met, despite the fact that you probably thought I was 22 or 23, um, <laughs> 12 years older than you. Uh, yeah, yep. But we look like we're probably the same age because I look like a little boy still. Not that you're <laughs> a little boy. I look, I look like I'm actually sure. Man, when I first started working, a guy asked me. I'm talking like first started working with the company we work with now. Um, this was back when there was like we only had however many people, whatever. The company's not old, so like not that long ago. Like no, not that long ago, but. Um, yeah, I would have been, I would have been like probably 34 at the time, 33, 33, I think something like that. Um, yeah, I was 33. This guy asked me, he's like, so what, uh, like, what, what are you going to do? Are, are you, um, are you going to work or, or like, what are you doing after school? And I was like, oh, uh, I just kind of went along with him. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure, man. And he was talking about this guy was 17 and he yeah. was, he thought that we were both like 17, 18 and had just graduated high school. Yeah. And when he said that, I was like, dude, I could be your dad. <laughs> I was like, I never said that, but I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, this guy thinks I just graduated high school. He thinks we're the same age. And I'm like, we're not, man. We're not. I think a lot, but it is a good problem to have. Yeah, it's funny. I think I I'm pretty sure at that time, I, now I forget. It must be it must have been the truth, but I think I had had just had my first little guy Theo at that time, or like pretty close to it. So I'm sitting there thinking, like, you think we're the same age? I could be your dad, but I am a dad, and I got my own <laughs> kid already because I'm <laughs> at the age when you'd have a kid, you know. Yep. That's funny. I was, funny. I was, I, I don't think I, 
That was a terrible way to start that sentence. I think I look my age at this point. I think I look pretty squarely mid twenties, maybe a little younger, but when I, when I was early twenties or, or late teens. Yeah. I, that was, I, I lived that, that life of, of looking considerably younger than, than I was. So, so I, I empathize. Yeah, dude. Like I thought if I was guessing, I, well, I told my wife tonight, I'm like, I think he's like 23, 22, 23, probably 23. Uh, cause I, cause I also like, I'm guessing, I, I don't know how old car is, but like, I'm guessing you guys are close to the same age, and I think she's probably about 23. She will like, be turning 25 next month, so we're very close in age. And you guys both look young. <laughs> you both look younger than 25, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, man, we should uh, we should wrap it up here, okay. but uh, yeah, it's been good, man. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Man, it's always good. We're, uh, we're going to talk about our debating podcast. Okay. Or maybe a back to the a back to the future series or something. I don't know. Only the first two movies are good. That's my position. Oh come on! Back to the Future Three sucks. <laughs> no, no man, I love Three. It's so good. Why is ZZ Top there? <laughs> I don't know, but we'll have to figure it out. Here it goes, here it goes. Haven't dropped in a dog's age. No excuses. But sometimes life gets in the way. And uh, I miss dropping. This this episode was actually in the can a long time ago. Recorded it uh, a couple months ago. Probably in, well, 2018 still. January sometime. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Either way recorded it with Travis and uh, it, it was fun, it was a ton of fun recording with him and had all the intentions of dropping it uh, the audio files got a bit corrupted so I had to do a lot of post on lining up the files again and uh, making sure that worked and in the process I, uh, I ended up moving into this crazy house that has been being renovated for the past year so that was busy in itself um, amongst other things and uh Ended up having an unfortunate passing of a family member um, recently, so that uh, that also has taken up some some time. And um, yeah, it was sad. It was unexpected. It was uh, my sweet little niece passed away in her sleep, and uh, it uh, it was pretty unexpected. But that ended up. Um, that ended up being a big focus for for our family and for myself and um yeah sometimes sometimes you just can't get around to doing everything when you got to focus on the right things so happy to be dropping this though happy uh happy that this is brought to you by cedar and moss gotta tell you those lights they came into my house finally mid-century modern lights handmade out of portland oregon and they are as beautiful as uh as i was expecting them to be but uh they've exceeded all expectations so make sure you go give them a virtual fist bumper check them out online cedarandmoss.com c-e-d-a-r-a-n-d-m-o-s-s 
onnit.com and uh, check out their products. It's also brought to you by Onnit, O-N-N-I-T.com. Onnit's a total human optimization company, a lifestyle company. They make nutraceuticals and all different types of exercise equipment, um, sponsor lots of uh, MMA fighters, professional athletes, anybody who um, who has the mental game and the the focus, the, the foresight, the fortitude to be driving forward with, with their total human optimization. So go check them out. They've got all these great nutraceuticals like Alpha Brain, Shroom Tech Sport, um, some of my favorites that I tend to use on a regular basis. But uh, yeah, they'll hook you up on it, O-N-N-I-T dot com. And for now, I'm going to keep jamming. I'll be dropping again soon. Not sure when. Got lots on the go, but uh, love doing this. And uh, I'll be back with you soon. So thanks again for tuning in. Love you all. <laughs>